Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. God bless you. What a simple statement. God bless you. It's a simple phrase. It's a phrase that we say all the time. Of course, you know, in the common, most common way we use it is someone. <laughs> that was a real sneeze. Maybe you sign your emails with that. God bless you. Maybe you end the text exchange. God bless you. Maybe you end a phone call. God bless you. That's cool. That's cool. But let's think about that statement for a second. God bless you. Now, we've been going at the start of our year with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, New Testament, Jesus coming to preach in front of a whole crowd of people, the famous words that he says, the start of the Sermon on the Mount is something called the Beatitudes, and there's nine of them, and they all start with a certain word, which is the word blessed, right? Everybody say that word, right? Blessed. But the format is always interesting because there's nine statements that start with the word blessed. But the structure is something that you have to really think about. Because what Jesus says, he'll say, blessed are the blank, for they will blank. Now, here's what's interesting about that, the format Jesus is saying. He's saying that the current state that somebody's in is a blessed state. So he's saying, God bless you in your current state right now. But then the second part of the statement is the blessing, because you go from a blessed state where you are right now to receive something later that is a major blessing. But hold up. Here's what's weird about it. Because the current state that Jesus says that you're blessed in right now, if you say, God bless you, it might seem a little weird. Because if you look at the statements of the Beatitudes, all nine statements, you might not really think that that current state is a blessed state. Which brings us to today's beatitude statement. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And this is what it says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's just say that all together. Ready? One, two, three. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. It's a great word, right? Mercy. I mean, it's a, you know, some, some uh, church lingo, church lingo, you know, Lord have mercy. Someone does something out of pocket, Lord have mercy. You yourself do something out of pocket, Lord have mercy. It's a little different, right, when it's you doing it. So we have this statement of mercy. I remember as a kid, I don't know if anybody else did this, and uh, probably because it's like a, maybe more so a boy's thing. I remember playing this game as a kid called mercy. Anybody knows about this one? You had to, like, knuckle lock with somebody. Anybody remember this one? It's like, a, like this ver- there's several versions. And you had to, like, twist the person's, like, fingers and pull. This is why men don't live as long as women. So you had to twist and pull. Or maybe you did something. Like, I remember one person said you had to, like, 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 twist the skin on someone's arm or whatever. And until you said the safe word, and then the game was over. And you had to say, mercy. And you gave up. So I don't know if anybody played that game. It was weird. Now I'm talking to you about it. I don't know what I was thinking at, you know, nine years old. But I did it. 
I did it, and I know I'm not the only one, but that was a game that was played. So you're begging that someone for mercy because it just hurts so much. It's twisting your fingers, it's twisting your skin, you feel like something's going to pop off of you, and you say mercy. Well, mercy is an interesting word. So if we think about the definition of mercy, whether we look at like your Merriam-Webster dictionary, whether we go to a biblical concordance and, say, and see what it means, the definition is pretty consistent of what mercy is. Mercy is this, kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. Mercy. So kindness, goodwill towards someone who's miserable, in a miserable state, a broken state, misery. It's a hard word right there. And the afflicted means things that are constantly happening in their life, things that are outside of their control, usually think decisions that are made above them that just trickles down below and you just got to deal with it. Now, we've all been there in certain situations. But then this next part, this next part, this is, this is the key right here. So all that state joined with a desire to help. Now, the word desire is important too, and that means you want. You want to help someone. You want to show them mercy. You want to give them mercy. In their afflicted state, in their down position, someone has to come along and say, listen, I am here to give you mercy. I'm here to relieve your state of affliction. I'm here to help you out of the kindness that's in me, out of the goodwill I have towards you, a fellow human being. Mercy. Now, this is something that I truly believe all of us have either experienced in some way, shape, or form, and something that we always want. We want mercy. We want to have some mercy in our lives. Can anybody just testify to that? You want some mercy in your life? You want some mercy, right? Some mercy. So here's how we're going to talk about this word mercy, because if you look at the Beatitude statement, blessed are the merciful. So that's people who are filled with that merciful attitude, that, that perspective of mercy, that kindness and that goodwill. Blessed are those people, for later on, they will be, have a blessing of being shown mercy. So there's a little thing that's happening here. And I'm going to share with you two passages from Scripture. So two passages means two sections of Scripture. We're going to go through both of them, and I want you to see how mercy operates in the Bible. And then we got to think to ourselves, does this, where am I in this, this statement? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So we're going to have two passages. So one passage is from the first major section of the Bible, which is the Old Testament. And another passage is from the next section of Bible, which is the New Testament. Exactly. So let's t- check it out, because what we're going to see here in Scripture is what's called a contrast. We're going to see two separate things. They're complementary but it's going to be different versions, different uh, looks at, at the things. So we're going to have a story about merciful, someone being merciful, and then we're going to have a story about someone who's the opposite, being merciless. But let's see, let's see how God views the merciful and the merciless person. What is God's call on this? And which one are you? Which one are, am I? So first is this. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. So this book of 2 Samuel, 
This is King David is in his full power. So David, yeah, that David, the guy who beat the giant and everything like that, David and Goliath, that dude right there who wrote all the poetry, or not all the poetry, most of the poetry in Psalms, that guy right there, so at this point in David's life, he is that guy. He's the king. He's unified things together. He's cleared out his enemies, and he's ready to take up his rule upon the kingdom of Israel. It's now time to just take the throne, have the crown, and be that authority. So here's how this happens, right? So now, in this structure, now you know this already because you've seen movies and stuff like that. David is a king. So he's a king, and he is going to be the first of his name. He's going to be the person that's going to create a lineage out of his name and his family. But hold up, though. Hold up. There's some unfinished business from the previous king. Now, you know how this works. You have the king, and then someone who's going to be the next ruler in line, which is typically the oldest child. And in this context, in this culture, it's the boy. It's the boy, oldest child. And then just all in the lineage, all the way down, 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 down. So if there is somebody of the original king's line who is still alive, well, by law, by rule, by structure, the crown should kind of go over to them. However, in this situation, God has been very clear that Saul, the previous king, his line is done. His line is done. David is the full-on legitimate ruler of the kingdom. But then David gets word. Hey, listen, David, there is someone in Saul's family who is still alive. So now we have to make some decisions here. And this guy, he has one of the most bizarre names in all of Scripture. And if I find a student one day that has this name, I'm going to say, wow, your your family reads the Bible, like, straight up. This person's name, I'm just going to put it right here, and let's see who can pronounce it. Right there. Who can say this name correctly? What? Let's try that again. As someone in like this back black seat area just went, shh, 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 shh. I don't, I don't know who that was. You tried, though. I'll give you A for effort for sure. Yeah, so the best way to say this name, I'm telling you, this name is something else right here, right? You thought Shaniqua and Bukwekwe were bad? Man, look at this one. Like Mephibosheth. One more time. Mephibosheth. Okay, good enough. We'll, we'll, we'll just... Keep it going with that one. This is a descendant of Saul, but he is in a weakened state. He is physically handicapped. He is, as the definition we saw of mercy, he is miserable and he's afflicted. But David, in his royal power, is going to do something so interesting because Mephibosheth is brought to the palace. He's brought before the king, and he technically is an enemy. David. He didn't do anything to David directly, but because of his family, technically, David should just either send him away forever or just order him to be executed right there on the spot. And David would have been fully justified legally in this system to do that. That would have been perfectly okay. Everyone would have slept like a baby at night. Hey, that's just how it goes. But watch this. But watch this. So if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting at verse 7, David talking to Mephibosheth, he says this, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. So Mephibosheth is King Saul's grandson. 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you, you, in this miserable state, in this afflicted state, you will always eat at my table. You will be a guest of honor for the king for your whole life. You will be with me right here at the king's table. And that means that's the best food, the best drink. That's the place you want to be, right there at King David. You're in the room with the king, with the king himself. That's amazing. And then Mephibosheth says, he bows down and says, what, what, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Well, I'm, I'm, what? I, don't you, I'm more enemies, technically. I mean, my grandfather tried to kill you. But David says this. He says, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's official, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, bring in the crops, and that your master's grandson will be provided for, and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Merciful. Merciful David looks upon this, this poor man and his family and all his heritage, his grandfather, his father, all this stuff, and it's not all good for David. But David, being filled at this point in his life with so much power and authority from God, says, listen, I'm going to have mercy on you. Come and sit with me for your whole life. In fact, all the land that, began, that was owned by your, fa- your grandfather, that's all yours now. Boom, wealth right there. All, all, all the things that were for your grandfather, you can have it now. And, you know, make, make sure, attendance, make, make sure this is all set up. I'm having mercy on this man. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to exile him. I'm not going to send him away. I'm looking upon him. I'm not going to make fun of him. I'm not going to mock him. I'm going to say, listen, I'll hook you up. You're with me now, the king. What a state to be in. Going from, in his own words, a dead dog to then sitting at the king's table? Wow. I can relate to that. I surely can. But here's what's interesting. When you think about this statement that David's making, there's a certain lesson that we have to understand about being merciful. And it's this, that to be merciful is to act in authority. Now, if you are a believer in Christ, let me tell you something about yourself. If you are a dedicated learner, if you're a disciple, if you're about it, you have received so much mercy, so much. You've been filled with so much mercy that now you are able to overflow that mercy to other people. You're able to give mercy. You're in the blessed state now if you are merciful. Blessed are the merciful. The first statement of that beatitude. And David is showing that in his authority as the king. He says, I can make a decision right now, right now in this moment, to be merciful. And that's godly. And I'm sure there was people in David's inner circle that were like, oh, oh, oh. this is, I mean, it, could be, it could be a rebellion in a few years. What are you doing? But David has to trust God. David has to trust God that the mercy that was shown to him comes with a price. And the price is to pay it forward. The price is to be merciful. It's to exist in that state. So being merciful is operating in your authority as a believer. It's something that you have to do in order to show who you belong to, who you trust, who, what community you're a part of. Are you in Christ? 
then be merciful. It's within your authority. It's in your responsibilities as a Christian to be merciful. But hold up. Hold up. Now, I know this part's tough. But not all Christians, not all people of God have understood the mercy that's been given. Not all of us are ready to be merciful. Not all of us are in that blessed state. Because here's a reality about mercy. Let me tell you just the truth about mercy. And I don't have to tell you this. You already know it. You've already experienced it. You've already engaged in it. But there's something that's unique about mercy. And that mercy, it's easier to receive than it is to give. Now, you've heard that statement, right? Tis more blessed to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. But here the th- here's the thing. Here's the thing. With mercy, let's be honest with ourselves. Much easier to receive. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Much, 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 much more difficult to then give it out. Why? Why? Why is that such a struggle? Why is forgiveness and mercy, why is that so, such a struggle for us? It's because we look upon other people in their afflicted state. We look upon people in their miserable state, and we start justifying in our mind and in our heart, they deserve it. We start justifying in our mind and in our heart, well, too bad for you. But we forget that at some point in our life and at some points in our life still, we ourselves are afflicted. We ourselves are in miserable states. And all that has to happen is just one thing sometimes. And we could be in a, in a whole state of emergency, a state of panic, a state of grief, a state of fear. And these are things that happen as we just conduct our lives. Again, sometimes decisions are made way above us. Your employer, your organization, your job, that directly affects you and you, you have no say. But there's something that has to be said about the character in the heart of someone who claims to be in Christ. That they have to be in the blessed state of being merciful. And we said this before, it's easier to receive it than to give it. But how does God see this? How does God see that? How does God see someone who has been blessed with mercy but are completely unwilling, unwilling by choice to not give it away to somebody else, not pass it on? How does God view that? Well, let's find out. Because Jesus taught a lesson about this. In one of his famous parables, and I love this parable so much, it's a heart check for me personally, and honestly, I'm just going to say it, I see this parable as one of the biggest revelations of many people who claim to be in Christ. Specifically, many people who are Christian or claim to be in Christ here in the good old U.S. of A. Why? Because of our status, because of our wealth, because of our possessions, and things like that, that we put so much faith in and so much trust in. However, as God said in the Old Testament, talking about King David, I don't look at people the way people look at people. God examines the heart. Nothing can be hidden. Nothing can be covered up. God knows our intentions, our views. Even though we might not say it out loud, we might not post it, we might not talk, any, talk about it openly, but definitely God knows. 
So here's, here's the, the issue that we run into with this unmerciful attitude. And you can follow along with this. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Chapter 18, this is, this is one of those times in Jesus' ministry where people are just coming up to him left and right. Hey, what about this issue, Jesus? What's your perspective on this? Hey, here's a current event, Jesus. What, 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 what do you say about that? What, what, what side are you on, Jesus? Everyone's trying to figure Jesus out at this point. Is he with us? Is he with them? What's, what's this? And that's called politics, by the way. So people are trying to figure out Jesus' perspective. And what Jesus does most of the time is he teaches what God's standard is, but he does it through storytelling, a lesson, an illustration, something like that. So here we have in Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to share this with you, and you're going to see this presented in front of you. There's a few people that are involved in this, in this story that Jesus is about to say, this lesson. So we have a king, because he starts by saying in verse 21, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called his servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? On your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I love that parable. I really do. Because it's one of those parables that really just cuts deep and exposes us to ourselves. I know it's very easy. It's very easy, especially in in the church environment. It's very easy to only see yourself as the time when the servant, his debt was canceled, 100 gold coins. It's very easy to sing about that, and we have plenty of songs to sing about that. It's very easy to talk about that. We give our testimony, we witness to God's power, which is great, and we should. But 
But that moment, that moment right there of the master, the king, canceling the debt, having mercy, showing mercy to that servant, that's the beginning of a life in God. That's the beginning. That's the starting point. Because from there, from that moment, God is watching. God is watching carefully. What are you going to do with that gift that you've been given? What are you going to do? How are you going to treat people? What are you going to do to show the world how my mercy works? How are you going to witness to that? How are you going to show people? How are you going to testify? What's so interesting is that if you look at the story carefully, it was 100 gold coins that he owed, and the master was ready to just put the whole family into debt slavery. The whole family, even the kids, and everything he had. But he, he pardoned and canceled that debt. But then if you notice the detail, when that servant went out and saw another servant, that servant owed him silver coins, which is of lesser value. And that, that servant just couldn't handle that. Yoked him up, choked him, pay me what you owe me. But then word got back to the master and said, whoa, 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 whoa. That debt that I canceled, we're putting that back on you right now. Why? Because you didn't show the mercy that I gave you. You didn't show it. You didn't honor it. You know what you did? You abused it. You abused the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the cancel. You abused the freedom that I gave you. And if we can be honest with ourselves, especially those that have been in church for a minute, it's very easy to fall into that. Very easy. It's very easy to walk through the door that the cross provides and then slam it shut behind you to other people because they don't deserve it. Or they don't, well, they, well you know, my, my situation was different. And that's a temptation for all of us. But if we look at it carefully, we can reverse the beatitude statement and say, instead of blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy, we could say cursed are the unmerciful, for they will receive no mercy. Ah, no mercy. Because I, well, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't kind to someone else. Yeah. Well, because I, I didn't show that grace and love and, and mercy on someone. Yeah, that's right. 100% right. Yeah, you're right. But, but, but I, I thought I was forgiven. I thought, you are. You are. Now demonstrate it. Show it. Show the world. Testify with a true witness, not a false one, about the power that God has done. Because another reality is this. An unmerciful attitude is disobedience. You heard me right. An unmerciful attitude is disobedience. Now, I know when we see obedience and obey and disobey and stuff like that, we think about things, actions we shouldn't do anymore, things we shouldn't say, stuff we shouldn't watch, which is all true. And it's an attitude of the heart. An unmerciful, bitter attitude. You know, it's, it's really interesting because I've seen so many over the years. I've seen so many individualist Christians. It's just me and God, and that's it. But if you look at that parable that Jesus said, that man's bitter, unmerciful mind, it cost his whole family. It wasn't just him. It was him. It was his wife. It was his children, it was his whole wealth and everything like that. That was all on the line because of his unmerciful stank attitude. Is that you? Honestly, is that, is that you? Think about it. Is that, am, I, am, I, am I like that? Do I just crave mercy so much and I want it so bad? But am I unwilling to then 
use that towards someone else's benefit to show that kindness and goodwill? Well, if you are, I got to tell you the truth. God is watching. And not only is God watching, God is judging. God's judging the attitude of our heart because an unmerciful attitude is disobedience to God. It's a slap in the face to what God has done. It's abuse of mercy, grace, forgiveness. It's an abuse of those things. It's an abuse of the freedom that we have just to do that. It's slamming the door behind you when there's so many more people that need it. And I understand. You got all the justifications. We can justify it all. Well, I mean, hey, you don't understand how they are. You don't understand what they did. And some of the people that you might have the unmerciful attitude, and you probably just saw them on the holidays and just like, you know, sitting at the table with them, and you smiled in front of their face. But, you know, when they left, the conversation ensued. So I understand. It's un- I understand it's hard. They're so hard-headed. They don't get it. When are they going to wake up? I understand. <laughs> Believe me, I understand. I've been there many times, and I'm there too, struggling with that sometimes. But I think about what God has done for me. And that's when I have to realize, hold up, is my heart in the right place? And I remember when I learned this uh, really in detail, I'll just share a quick story with me. Years ago, years ago, we had, a, a, we used to, we had this thing called the E-Town Mission Strip. It was a part of the Bridge Youth Ministry. Shout out to the Bridge Youth Ministry. Y'all doing the good things. There's one person clapped. That's cool. Shout out to the Bridge. Hey! So we had this the E-Town mission trip, and we would just do service projects all over the place. And it was a win-win, because here in Elizabeth, the high school students have to complete community service hours. We're also serving the Lord, representing the church. Everybody check your box. Check, 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 check. Everybody's good, right? But one year, man, we did something big, 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 big. We took the E-Town mission trip out of E-Town. So it was a mission trip, not an E-Town mission trip. And we went to North Carolina in a few vans, went to North Carolina to a Cherokee Indian reservation. So we went out there, and we were helping in that area. And I remember this distinctly because this is one of the moments where I learned so much about God's character. So my group that was uh, there, we, we went out there, and our job, the few of us who split off into different jobs, our job was to go and clean this lady's house. Easy, right? This, she's an old lady, clean her house. But this lady was a hoarder, a full-on hoarder. She had been in that state for years, afflicted, miserable, in a lowly state. Myself and Jen, we were painting walls, we were cleaning up, we were sleeping up rat poop, we were clearing garbage, all that stuff. And we were, we were doing uh, uh, many things that had to happen in this lady's house, our crew. And this was so disgusting, I have to say. I have to tell you the truth. It was one of those homes, because of the hoarding and because of the, 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 um, the, the rats and the other um, pests that were there, when you opened the door, we had to wear masks. Because when you opened the door, the stench of the place, it knocked you back. People would drive up to us, hey, guys, you know, I know you're doing a good thing, but like this lady, I mean, come on. We said, we understand, but, you know, we're doing it for her just in Jesus' name. A few people, oh, I clean, I, you, know, you know, I was with the crew, we cleaned her house last month, and she's back in that state. 
Understood, but, you know, we're doing this in the name of the Lord. I remember opening the door one time and having to step way back. Couldn't do it. I had to prep myself to go in there. And as, we're, as myself and Jen are, are painting this woman's bathroom, peeling off popcorn ceiling and all that we're doing in there, standing on top of toilets and, and on, the, on the tub, I remember distinctly just being so like, this is so dumb. This is so useless. Why, like, there's so many other people around here who we can help. Why, come on. Like, why are we doing this? All right, get more paint. This was maybe the third or fourth day of it, and at this point, I'm, I'm wearing thin, straight up. But then, very clearly, very clearly, and man, was this a hot check. Very clearly, I'm like, why are we cleaning this woman's house? And then very, very clearly in my heart came God's voice and said, Elliot, how many times have I cleaned your house only for you to make it dirty again? I didn't say nothing after that. Because it's true. It's true. But that's the question we have about mercy, right? When does that second statement kick in? You might be saying to yourself, like, oh, Elliot, I'll, you know, I'll be merciful. I'll be merciful. I'll have a merciful attitude. I, listen, I, I, I am willing to be patient. I'm willing to be kind. I'm willing to help. I'm, I'm willing to do all those things. But, but when is the for they will receive mercy. When does that come to me? When, when is it my turn? To, when, is the mercy, when is it going to kick back? Where is it going to come in to say, oh, yeah, now you will receive your mercy? That's a hard question to ask. Because I know some of us might be waiting for people in our lives to show us mercy. Maybe waiting for individuals that we've been kind to, we've loved. You might be blood-related to them. And it's hard. And we might be waiting and waiting and wondering and wondering and praying and praying and saying, well, God, like, when, can I get some mercy from this person? Can I get some mercy here? And I understand that. I understand that. But I can tell you one thing. If you claim to be in Christ, you've already received it. You've already received so much mercy. I cannot guarantee that that person who you're waiting on, I can't guarantee if they'll ever get it, if they'll ever understand, if they'll ever just chill out. I can't guarantee that. But what I can guarantee is if you are in Christ, you have received the mercy of God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And there's no greater mercy. There's no higher amount. There's no higher authority than that. And that's something that we have to honor because as another lesson that Jesus told, and this is one of the most famous ones here, it was about a man who had two sons. You might have heard this one before. He had two sons. One of them wanted the family inheritance and wanted to leave home. And the other one stayed. The father gave him the family inheritance. And he went wild, spending, 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 living it up until he was broke. And then in his lowly, afflicted, miserable state, he finally was like, I need to go home. I need to go home to my father. 
And he did. And as he's walking down the road, coming back home to his family's house, his father sees him, runs to him, embraces him, says, my son is home. A merciful father. My son is home. Here, come in. Let's throw a party. It's barbecue time. Put, you know, put, the, put the good clothes on him. Give him the family heritage. Like We're going to restore him back to where he's supposed to be. And we're going to celebrate. Because my son, who was lost, now is found. He's come home. Remember I said he had two sons, right? But here is the brother looking upon this situation in Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of his servants and asked them, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, you might think, like, the brother's like, yes, my brother's home. Yes, good. No, 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 no. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. His father, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving away for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But, but, but when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you, 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 you throw the biggest party for him, he's saying, this is not fair. Why are you being merciful to him? I've been here the whole time and you can't even break out a six pack for me and my friends. You can't even give me some burgers. You got to give a whole party for him. But what? Feels like it's unfair. But then the father says, my son, you were always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. I know we love to hear about that brother who came home and we want to come home. But those of us who are in the house, we cannot afford to be that other brother and say, well, well hold on, wait a minute. I don't know about that person. Good thing you weren't checked at the door like that. Good thing that didn't happen to you. The attitude must be right. You know, last week, Pastor Carlos talked about righteousness. And it's an attitude that's in the heart. It's something that, a perspective that we must have. And part of righteousness is being merciful. I can't guarantee that the person who afflicts you or whatever, I can't guarantee that person is going to get it. They're going to turn their lives around. And I know you've been praying for them. You've been talking to them, and you're like, come on, don't you see it? It's so obvious. I do know one thing, that your attitude is being challenged, not only now, but it will be challenged possibly in the future. Let me explain. Let's say the person does get it. Let's say they do. Let's say they come home like the son did. Are you going to be merciful to them? Or are you going to lord it over them? I tried to tell you. Every Thanksgiving, every Christmas. Hey, remember when I tried to tell you, but you, you ain't listening? I mean, I'm glad you turned your life around, but you know, I, I told him for years, and you know, now, now he's good, or now she's right. See, because the mercy and the love cannot only be now. You have to prepare your mind and prepare your heart now for if and when it comes through. You cannot be that second son that stayed home. You cannot be like, well, oh, look who, look who decided to show up to Thanksgiving. 
Oh, look. Well, look. Oh, no, she, no, she here. She's here. No, she here. No, she walking. Oh, she finally came back. God's watching that attitude too. And it might be funny, but that's the attitude of the heart because it comes from a place of bitterness. It comes from a place of loathing and, and, and hatred and annoyance. It's like that son, like, what, why are we celebrating for him? I've been here the whole time doing the right thing. I've been sitting at my father's table the whole time. And church folks, we can suffer the most temptation when it comes to this. The most. So I have two things for you. Are you merciful? Or are you merciless? Do you have the attitude of being merciful? Are you in that blessed state right now? Imagine. Let's talk about those of us who grew up in broken homes and with abuse. Do you think it would have made a difference if your mother and your father were merciful towards each other? you imagine being merciful to your husband? Merciful to your wife? Merciful to your employees? Merciful to your students? What would that be like? Merciful to your children? Your children being merciful towards one another? What would that be like in your house? What would that be like at your job? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I can't promise you when that's going to happen. I can't. I could just tell you that the God who said it is good and keeps his promises. So if you here need to experience God's mercy for the first time, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's bold. It's a big deal. I'm going to ask you to stand up where you are and to come forward to this holy space right here. Because this space right here is where God wants to meet you and pour out his mercy on you. That's one group. Another group is this. If you are one who has been bitter, unforgiving, merciless, this is your opportunity right now to do what's called repentance. It's for you to come up here right now, don't, don't waste a moment, and say, God, I'm sorry. Please make me aware of your presence, like how we sang earlier. I'm sorry for being hateful, spiteful, merciless. Help me to be merciful. Bring in me that attitude of being merciful, because I know it's been tough. Stand up and come now. We all struggle with this. It's no secret. If you've never experienced God's mercy, come up now. Or if you've been feeling so bitter and so merciless towards your spouse, your children, your employer, your friends, your family, your cousin, your uncle, come right now. Come up right now. Don't waste the moment. Come up right now. We all struggle with this. Like I said before, mercy, it's easier to receive than it is to give. But if you want to be in that state of being blessed and you want that state of being merciful, be humble now. Come forward. Say, sorry, I'm God, I'm sorry for my attitude, for my disobedient words, my disobedient mind. Forgive me, Lord, 
for being merciless. And those of you in Christ, ask God for forgiveness for abusing the mercy he's been given to you. God, I'm sorry. Speak to God now, those of you who are in this altar space. And if you have not stood up or have not come forward, close your eyes, bow your head, and ask God to teach you about his mercy. It's a holy moment. sinner on the planet, you need to come up right now. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal husbands and wives, parents and children, friends, co-workers, relatives, strangers on the street, God. May a river of mercy flow out from this house right here on Elizabeth Avenue and all the other churches all around. May there be mercy shown in the home, mercy shown at school, mercy shown at work. God, forgive us. Have mercy on us, Lord, for being bitter and unmerciful towards one another. Help us to testify and bear a true witness of your power that you've done in us. Help us not be like that unmerciful servant that Jesus discussed. God, forgive us. Reveal even more of your mercy and how deep it goes into our hearts, Lord God. May we meditate on it. Take it home with us, God. As we stand before you, Lord, open to you right now as we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, Lord God, seeing our outstretched hands, our bowed heads. God, help us 
to be blessed by your mercy. For we shall then receive mercy and help us to pour it out just like you did, Lord God, to us that we may witness to others. Lord, may you have your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray and the people of God say, amen, amen, and amen. Blessed are the merciful. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.